0: continuing in Romans 9 and we're taking these in they're heavy truths and we're trying to take them in bite-sized portions and even verse 19 there will will prompt us for next week in our study of 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 continuing this thought that we see today and we've seen in Romans 9 a very heavy section Paul made it clear that that the the nation of Israel the people of Israel they they've received great blessing they've received great mercy from God that they're you know he listed that in one through five and yet many of them do not believe many of them in the midst of the great mercy in the midst of the grace uh, of the great privilege that they were given even going back to chapter three that we saw many of them do not believe and Paul said again verse six it is not as though the word of God has failed that's we said that was key to all of this the faithfulness of God The righteousness of God. Many Jews find themselves separated from Christ. In the midst of all the privilege, in the midst of all the blessing. Separated. And Paul illustrates this through two illustrations. Ishmael and Isaac. Right? He said, we, we went through that. Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise, not Ishmael. Ishmael reflected the, the flesh and trying to achieve God's promises through the flesh. And God rejected Ishmael in that sense. And was, Isaac was the promised son. And then he uses the illustration of Esau and Jacob. And the difference there, we said, was again, even in the, the whole Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, one could say, okay, of course God picked Isaac because of the whole Abraham-Hagar thing. And so Paul shows another illustration. Of how again the people of of Israel were divided in that sense through Jacob and Esau, and there you had Isaac marries Rebecca, and and she gets pregnant, and there are two children in her womb. So again the Isaac Ishmaelist situation, there were you know two wombs, two points of conception, two different two women, and and so someone could say, well of course God picked Isaac because of the whole again the whole Hagar thing, and so Paul. The, the, the isaac Rebecca issue narrows it down. It eliminates that argument because you have one point of conception, one womb, two children in one womb, and yet God chooses Jacob and passes over Esau. All right? So there's no shenanigans going on, no Hagar going on, nothing, nothing to point to. And, and, and God did that before, again, he, Paul quotes back, to Genesis and Paul God did that before in, when they were in the womb before either one of them had done anything good or bad why it, because if 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 we if if God chose them let's say after Esau sold his birthright for the lentil of stew you know what you and I would say well of course God chose Jacob because Esau did this or what did Jacob do to merit that we we want to earn it we want to have a part we want to, there we want, there's to be something that we can say because I did this, God did this. I earned it, I merited it, I deserved it. And Paul is going to great lengths to show that that's not the case. To show that God is not unjust. That God is not unrighteous. That the word of God has not failed. Not all Israel is Israel. And as soon as you read in verse 13, like we saw last week, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And and the moment you hear that, in all of us, here's here's what all of us think. I promise you, that's not fair. That's not fair. The second we see that, something's not right about this. And, And Paul knows that. He knows that this teaching can be hard. He knows that, that, that these truths are, that God is acting in a way that is not alike, that is unlike the way that you and I would do it. That these are going to be hard to accept. It, the moment we read that in our words, we say it doesn't seem fair. And really, that's what's at stake here. God's righteousness the, the, again, going back to verse 6, has the word of God failed? Because if the word of God failed, then what he, all the promises that he said in Romans 8, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that God is for us, not against us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and, and if, God, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God failed, then how can we be certain that those promises are true? Very, uh, uh, everything is at stake here, but, but it all goes back, listen, to God's character. The, the surety, the certainty of a promise is really only as good as the character of the person making the promise, right? I, I, we're good at making promises. It costs nothing to make a promise. Where the rubber meets the road is, do you keep your promise? My mouth can write checks all day that my bank account cannot back up, Right? Listen, I'll tell you all day. Do I back it up? And that's what Paul is addressing here. The righteousness of God is at stake here. And, and really, that's always been the case. Even going back, we'll see in a moment, that is always, even in the gospel, the righteousness of God is what is, is, what is at stake. And so the main point that that Paul is getting at here, you see it on your handouts, to help us drill down, to keep it simple, Paul is battling through these, these issues, and he's knowing that no person can make a claim on God's mercy. Okay, no person can make a claim on God's mercy. God, being God, is free to offer this mercy to whomever he chooses, however he chooses, and again, that does not impugn his being just. Because God always acts for his glory and within his character. God is free to do whatever he wants to do. In line with his character. He's free to make a way however he wants to make a way. He's free to pick Jacob and he's free to pass over Esau because he's God. And that's hard for us to accept. Because the moment, the moment we say this, it, 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 attacks, our, it attacks us and, and everything that we think and the way that we think it would have been done. And so I want to break that reality down. I want to break that main point down today and, and through our passage and show what Paul is saying here. Because there are important applications, there are important implications to this being true. The, the first point that I want us to see here, that we've got to get settled in our own minds and hearts, is this. No person can make a claim on God's mercy as if they deserve it. Nobody can make a claim on God's mercy as if they deserved it. Okay, again, he's building on what he's just said in the previous 13 verses, and in verse 14 he says, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. The issue at stake here is Is God righteous? In all these dealings with Israel, has He been righteous? In our vernacular today, and I think we miss the point somewhat when we say this, but in our vernacular today, we would say, Has God been fair? Right? That's the way we talk. We don't talk about righteousness, we talk about fair. From the earliest point of our children, from the earliest point of our lives, what's one of the first questions, what's one of the first things they say? That's not fair. And, and listen, we're, we're, when we say that, as soon as we say that, we're, we're, we're acknowledging that we're looking at things we, from the wrong vantage point. We're looking at things from the wrong starting point. Because let me ask you a question. When someone says that's not fair, who are they primarily thinking about? themselves right i have i say never uh, my daughter will sometimes shock us and say this but um you never say you know what i got too much ice cr- i got more ice cream than bill you know that's not fair you know what we say bill got more ice cream than me that's what's not fair right that's when we say it's not fair fairness Fairness starts from the, when we say that, we're starting from the wrong starting point. We're putting ourselves at the center of everything. No, nobody, again, nobody complains that they got too much of something. They complain that somebody else got more than them. And, and that's our natural starting point. We, we start and we initiate everything, we interpret everything from a vantage point that is focused on ourselves. And, and listen, innate to all of us, due to our sin, you see it on the handout, is the belief that we're worthy of receiving mercy from God on some level. That we deserve it. We believe that we deserve mercy from God. We believe that we can make a claim. And when we do this, there are huge implications not only on us but but, but for God. And and, and you, we've got to start from the right starting points. Because if we start, if if I were if you called me and you were lost and you said, Chris, I can't find my way to your house, what's the first question I would ask you? Where are you? It makes no difference if I say turn right on Woodville Lane if you're if you're at Dale Mabry and Fletcher. I got to know where you are. We we got to start right. All the other instruction is pointless if we're not at the same starting point. And so uh, as as you know, contradictory to our self-worth if you will, as it might be, we've got to start at the right starting point even though it's going to paint an ugly picture of who we are without Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. We've already seen it in Romans 3, but Paul, Paul, Paul paints this picture in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Who we are outside of Christ. Okay? From the moment of conception, from birth, this is who we are apart from Christ. Listen, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Because he's writing Ephesians to believers. He's showing them who they were apart from Christ. According to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Listen. And we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. The, the starting point, listen, nobody woke up this morning wanting to hear this, but the starting point of what we deserve from God is wrath due to our sin. From the moment of conception, we deserve wrath. Our nature, that it, we are sinners that sin separates from some holy God, that's the starting point. Paul explained this in the first three chapters of Romans. Romans, none righteous, no, not one. That's our natural state apart from Christ. We are at enmity, Romans 5, 8. He says we're enemies of God. That's the starting point. And, And our flesh... Hates to start there. Our flesh fights that reality, and, and and if we don't start at the right starting point, all of this other stuff is going to seem wrong and out of place. Because listen, if, if you apply that to Romans nine one through thirteen, did, were they worthy of something or were they not worthy of something? Those two those two an, those answers change. The, the the outcome dramatically. Did God do something wrong towards any of those individuals? If they deserved it and he withheld it, then God has done wrong. If they didn't deserve it and they don't get what they didn't deserve anyway, then God has not done anything wrong. That makes sense? If you don't deserve it and you don't get it, you can't blame me. That makes sense? that you got to get to the right starting but see most of us if we're honest believe that we deserve mercy and therefore when it's withheld now we blame god because it can't be us and like we said last week we want to tell god how to give out his mercy and if we start at the wrong starting point we get the wrong conclusions And you see it in the handout, the starting point in this is about us seeing both ourselves and God rightly. And then everything flows from that. We've got to see ourselves rightly, and we've got to see God rightly, and then go from there. The right starting point. Because Christianity, listen, Christianity is not following a God that we make up in our own minds. It's not following God how you think. He ought to be or how you like to think for him to be or that he does what you think he ought to do christianity is following god as he has revealed himself to be and he has made revelation of himself in the word and therefore we follow what he reveals himself to be it doesn't matter what you like to think about god is it accurate right is it accurate is it in line with what he oh the god that i like would never do that well guess what the one true God has revealed himself, so maybe he's like that and maybe he's not. He's given you the word, though, to tell you. And again, starting points. Christianity is submitting, it is submitting to God and who he actually is and who he actually has revealed himself to be, not formulating your own God in your own mind. And Paul is writing this to prove that God is faithful and that God is dependable that he's righteous he's writing this to show that God is free to do with his mercy whatever he wants to do and it will never result in him being unfaithful god can be trusted he can rely on be relied on then and now but but we got to get the we got to get the foundations right and here's the fundamental question again that we have to get settled is this Does a sinner, that is all of us, does a sinner deserve any, apart from Christ, that's all of us, does a sinner deserve anything from God but wrath due their sin? Do we deserve mercy? We got to get that. Does God owe anyone mercy? And so like any other, again, like any other conversation, We've got, we got to make sure we're, right, we're working with the same definitions and the same understanding of words. So you see in our handout, mercy, again, you don't deserve it. If, if you're getting something. We've got to acknowledge that we're getting God's mercy namely here. And within God's mercy, all the other things flow. But here's the point. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Did, did, did Israel deserve all of those blessings that Romans 9, 1 through 5 explain? No, that was mercy. Did, it, did Isaac deserve to, be, to have the blessing fall on him? No, that was mercy. Did Jacob? No, meaning they didn't do anything to warrant it. God simply did it. They did not deserve it. We don't deserve God's mercy. We deserve wrath. And yet God has graciously made a way for that wrath to be be rightly dealt with in Jesus Christ and not fall on you and I. But it was undeserved. And if you go back to Romans 4, Paul dealt with this in Romans 4. If you go back to chapter 4, verses 4 and 5... He says in verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And again he says, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. It's either one or the other. It's either warranted or it's not. It's either a wage or it's mercy. Right? Every two weeks... When the when when the church at Odessa makes a deposit into my account, you don't say, "Oh man, they are so merciful." No, we agreed. You work for two weeks, you get a paycheck. It's not mercy. That's why you call it a wage, and wages are what earned or or graced. They're earned. No, I, I, man. I and listen. I, I'll tell you. I was like, I still say I don't deserve it, but it, it, I'll take it. I'm not arguing about it, you know? But, but even going back, listen, even going back to Ephesians 2, and here you see this, you hear what you see. I would say this to make this point. If you go back to Ephesians 2, we read verses 1 through 3. Start in verse 4. Where 1 through 3 tells who we were apart from Christ, by nature children of wrath. But look at verse 4. But... God, those are always awesome statements in the Bible, amen? But God, being rich in what? Mercy. Everything else flowed from that. It doesn't say, but you being worthy, but you deserve, no, no, but God. Being rich in mercy. Listen to what it says, because of his great love with which he loved us, again, flowing out of mercy, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised to him and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's merciful. Not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. Again, undeserved. God, God had to intervene. And you see it in your handout. Paul's point is if God doesn't owe anyone mercy, and they don't receive mercy, they don't receive what they didn't deserve, then God is not unjust. That makes sense? If you don't deserve it, and you don't get it, you can't say that God was unjust. right? And, and this has huge implications. God has crucified His Son on a cross. He has offered to salvation for whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't receive the gift, if you don't receive the mercy, you can't, you can't blame God. That makes sense? You can't blame God. And again, write questions. You see it on your, your, your handout there to calibrate ourselves. Does God, you have to ask yourself this question and think about the answer. Does God owe anyone mercy? That's going to be, a, how you answer that is going to be a big deal. If, and then secondarily, if God does not owe mercy to anyone, then can God offer mercy however he sees fit? Right? Either to everyone, some, or nobody. Whatever God chooses to do with His mercy, and in His great mercy, we saw that in verse 4 of Ephesians. He has offered Jesus Christ. He has crucified His Son as our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.20, He has made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. God has mercifully made a way for our sin to be dealt with righteously. If you don't receive that, you can't blame God. And we need to go to the right starting points. And, and again, we, we start asking ourselves these questions, well, is God fair and all that? Listen, the bigger question is this, is God righteous? Because listen, you don't want God to be fair. Okay? Right? And, and here's, the, here's the selfishness. Here's the selfishness of us. Again, we need to have the right diagnoses. I've never heard anyone complain that it's not fair that God crushed Jesus in my place. No one complains about that. Again, because we think about ourselves. You don't want God to be fair. Because fair sends sinners to hell, right? Right? Fair, fair. if it's just about fair, then I'll let you sit under my wrath because you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You deserve wrath. What is fair is you get wrath, therefore you... No, no, but God is righteous. And God is beyond... Even He's merciful. And so He crushes His own Son so that whosoever would call upon His name would repent of their sins by faith, look to Christ, could be saved. Saved what? Saved from the wrath of God, do their sin. But listen, nobody is complaining that that's unfair. When really, in on, under our right, on, as we think, you would say, "Well, that's not a, that's unfair for Christ." But nobody's complaining about that. Why? Because we get the benefit; we're the beneficiary. And guess what? I'm okay if your unfairness makes my ice cream bigger than Tia's. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay is if your ice cream cone is bigger than mine. And we've got to get past that. We, we've got to get to the right starting points. We, we've got to stop making ourselves central to everything. And, and fair, again, fair doesn't put Christ on a cross as a sin substitute and then offer grace to his enemies worthy of, who are worthy of death. And, and you see it on a handout. Mercy does that, not in fairness. And you see there, Paul defends God's grace. He defends God in the face of the question of fairness by emphasizing God's righteous mercy. And that's strange to us, but it's really brilliant as we dig down here. And, it, and what it tells us is that God is saving sinners, not based on fairness, but out of mercy. And God is glorified through being merciful to sinners. It's built upon his character, not something in us. And that, even that we're going to get to in a second. That has huge foundations to our certainty and our security. That this salvation is built on the character of God, not me. Again, and Paul just offered two examples. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. But again, starting points. No one can make a rightful claim to the mercy of God. As if you deserved it. We've got to get the right starting points. And listen, for the rest of our lives, believers, it will be a battle to keep that central. Agreed? You may have that issue settled today, but tomorrow you may not. Tomorrow something may happen to you and your flesh is going to want to scream, that's not fair. Go back. Recalibrate yourself. Again, God operates on righteousness and even the gospel. so again, verses fifteen and sixteen, again, building on that main point, no person can make a claim on God's mercy that God is free to offer his mercy however he chooses look at look at point number two on your handout. Verses fifteen and sixteen will help us see this because no person deserves God's mercy, God is completely free, completely free to offer his mercy however and to whomever he wants, to the glory of his name. Look at verse 15. For he says to Moses, Paul is going back to the Old Testament, to Exodus here. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. The issue here, go to verse 16. The issue here is the it in verse 16. And that it, it's all about God being free to give his mercy to whoever he wants. That's the it, mercy. God's mercy doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on what you've done or haven't done. God's mercy depends on God. It's about the character of God here. Totally outside of us, even, I dare say, in spite of us. God did not look down and say, oh, this person or that person deserves it. I better give it to them. Or this person is more sincere than this person. I better give it to him," Or I really need that kind of person on my team. Or I could really use that. That's not how he gave mercy. It was free. It was, nothing out, it was nothing to do with us necessarily in the sense of he didn't see something in me that warranted it, demanded it, therefore he had to offer it. It was freely given. He was completely free to do with his mercy whatever he wanted. And, and this truth goes back and is rooted in the very essence of God being God. And, and you think about this. Big thoughts, but but I, we need to have big thoughts. Look, you see it on your handout. For God to be God, he must be free and sovereign to do whatever he desires, right? In order for him to be God, he's got to be free and sovereign to do whatever he wants to do. And, and all of this goes back to and exposes the glory of God. And, and he, he talks about that here. You know, and, and again, God's glory, you see it on a handout, includes his freedom to offer mercy to whomever he wishes, however he wishes. Because we didn't deserve it. It's the prerogative of God, right? Freedom to do whatever you want to do in line with your character. And we hear that even in our day. Someone may have a God complex, complex. or you tell somebody, don't play God. When do you say that? When they're trying to run the universe. When they're doing things how they want to do it. And, and receiving God's mercy doesn't depend on anything a person will or does or has or hasn't done, but on God alone. And, and but that doesn't mean here, here's what here's what Paul gets at. Simply because God is free to give it however he wants to give it, however your designs, and he has designed it through Christ and through faith in Christ, listen, we gotta realize that it doesn't mean that God is willy nilly or haphazard about how he gives mercy. God's not up there going eeny meeny miny mo. There's a reason behind God doing what he does there's a reason behind how he has bestowed mercy but it and just because god is free to do it doesn't mean that he has no rhyme or reasons behind how he does it and you see it on your handout god's bestowal of mercy free as it was was not random or without purpose but it was aimed at his glory aimed at his glory Everything God does, listen, that leads us into 17. But but God has a central reason, listen, behind behind everything he does. But what we have to grasp and what we have to fight is this. I am not that reason. Right? And, And we sing it. Like a rose trampled on the ground, he took the fall. He did. Listen, don't think for one second he thought of you above all. Right? Even in our songs, we put us preeminent. We take God's glory, set it aside, and we're so arrogant to put ourselves in place of God's glory. And we sing about it. It's, it's God's glory that he's concerned about. And you see that in verse 17, the verse point three on the handout. The central reason behind everything that God does is his glory, which is bound up in his name. Look at verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Right? He didn't say I did it so that Chris would think he's great. He said, I did it so that you know that I am great. And, and last week, I, I couldn't help myself because again, this, this is the central issue. It's foundational everything. Not just his mercy, but his glory. Even hardening Pharaoh's heart. God's glory was behind that. The, the account with Pharaoh, the why behind that is designed that God would get glory. So that when, he, when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, there would be no question who did that. Who rescued, the, who rescued Israel from Egypt? Who did it? Not Moses? Not any of the other leaders? Not even Pharaoh? Listen, God is not, we saw it last week in Isaiah 48, 9 and 11. God is not gonna, he's not gonna compete with you for his glory. He's not sharing that. He's gonna do it in such a way that it's very clear I did that. My glory is what is at stake in that. And we fight that. We want to share it. But God is going to design things so that there's no question. He is the hero. And if we don't elevate His glory, if we don't care about His glory more than anything else, if we care about self more than anything else, we're going to think that's unjust. And listen, for me to live for my glory alone would be unjust because I'm not glorious. But God is glorious. He is supreme. Who else would he live for? Who else would he glorify? And to show this, again, Paul takes us back. Go in your Bibles to Exodus 33. This is where he quotes. Flip all the way back. Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 33, verse 19. And again, Paul is in is takes us back into the account where God is rescuing His people from Egyptian slavery. And Genesis thirty three nineteen, Exodus. I'm saying ex- Genesis, Exodus. Sorry, Exodus. Thank you. Make, I just make sure y'all are paying attention. Verse nineteen, he said, okay. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And to give you a little context, what we see in this account is Moses talking to God and seeking God's promise to go up to the promised land with the people. Then he asks, in verse 18, Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. That's the question. Moses asks to see God's glory. Again, starting questions, right point. Moses says in verse 18, show me your glory. And God says, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name before, before you, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, or mercy. Moses asks, follow me here. Moses asks to see God's glory. Very important how God answers here. And God answers Moses' request to see God's glory by saying this, here's my goodness, namely my name. God connects his glory with his name, and his being free to bestow mercy on whomever he desires. In other words, I think what God is saying to Moses and and to us is this. My glory is expressed in my name, and my name is expressed in my freedom to do whatever I want to do. I will have compassion on whomever I want to have compassion. This is who I am. This is my glory. Because I'm God, I get to do this. The very essence of God consists of him being free to do that. And his name, his glory is wrapped up in that. And and you see see this as well in, in Exodus 3 all the way back to 14 when Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? And what does God say? I am. Tell them I am sent you. He says, tell Israel I am sent you. Again, God explains his name here as I am who I am. And in Exodus 33, 19, he explains his name as I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. The structure there and those two are the same and the meaning is expanded. God's name, listen, is the essence of his glory. And he is free to do whatever he wants to do. And he will do things in order that his name is lifted high. And you see it on your handout. The the point there, what he's showing Moses and what he's telling us is that God is absolutely self-existent and absolutely self-determining. Meaning he's free to do whatever he wants to do. He gets to do whatever he wants to do. And he only does what is consistent with his character and with his nature. He's righteous. God exists freely freely. Without cause or control from anyone else, anything outside. And, and again, it's ultimately what he's concerned with. He is free to do whatever he wants to do for his glory. And there's an example of this in John 9. And in John 9, there is a man. And again, because if, if, if God's glory is not preeminent, even what we see in John 9, we're going to say that's not fair. That's not right. In John 9, you have man born blind. And the and, and story goes like this. They come to this man, he's blind. He's been blind for whatever, 15, 20, 25 years, who knows, a long time. They come to this man and they say, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did his mama sin? Did his daddy sin? Did he sin? They, they immediately, see you see how we think. They immediately thought the result had to be due to something we did. Right? We are ultimately in control here, so we think. And what does God? What does Jesus say? Nobody sinned, you know. He says, "This man was born blind, so that at this very moment I could give him sight, and my Father would be what? Is that fair?" Is it fair that somebody would be born blind and be blind for 20, 25 years simply so at one moment in time God would be glorified in giving him sight? Listen, if this world and this universe is all about me, then you'd say it ain't fair. But if we exist to give glory to God and nothing else is worthy of getting glory but God, all of a sudden, fair don't seem to be the right question. That dude was privileged to be used by God to get glory. But if we don't start at the right starting point, we say that's not fair. You know why? Because we think we deserve to be born without any problems. And we impugn everything else about God when we say that. And if God's glory is not preeminent, we go to John 9 and say, that ain't right. But if God's glory is preeminent, you think, God, Give, get glory through me. And that's the challenge for all of us. Nothing, Nothing inside that man, nothing outside that man dictated what God would do. God dictated what he would do for his own glory. And he was free to do it. And there was no unrighteousness in God for using that man's life to get glory. However he sees fit. Again, even in our passage here, this is about God's righteousness. That he's just. Even go back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says the, that the gospel is a demonstration of what? God's righteousness. Even in Romans 3, 25 and 26, it says that, that, the, that God would be just, i.e. righteous, and the justifier of those who have faith. Why is the gospel the way it is? So that God's righteousness would be vindicated in forgiving sinners. And and again, for you and I, if we're not careful, that's not the central issue that we think about when we think about the gospel, God's righteousness and his glory, but it is the central issue to God. How do I forgive sinners? How do I declare them to be righteous, i.e. I can dwell with them for all eternity and maintain my righteousness at the same time? That's the issue. Righteousness. How can God forgive us and maintain his righteousness? And he did that by crushing one who was perfectly righteous, namely Jesus. And he did that on his own. His own plan. And then he freely offered that mercy to whomever. Gentile Greek alike. I mean, that is it. Gentile Jew alike, forgive me. Whosoever. And you see it in handout. God's righteousness is his complete allegiance to his own name and glory. We've got to understand that. God is most allegiant to his own glory. We saw that last week in Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. His righteousness is what he values most. What he values most is his Glory. God's righteousness consists of him fundamentally doing what brings him glory. Again, this is why this is important. God doesn't primarily act based on your happiness or anything else that elevates you. We're not central. God's name is central. His glory is central. And God is free to do whatever he wants to do with us. We'll see it next week. He's free as the potter to do whatever he wants with the clay. We don't get to tell God how to get, how to get glory. He alone, Because again, listen, I can't even manage my own home half the time sometimes. Right? It, I, can't, I can't control those jokers. I need God. Right? You think I'm going to run the universe? Like, I don't even know. I don't know what the right answers half the time are to, what, to things in this church. I need, the, namely, I need the wisdom of God for that. I, I, I'm not wise enough. I'm not good enough. There's indwelling sin in me that is battling every day. I, I need somebody, namely God, outside of me dictating, controlling, not, not killing human, not human not, again, not killing responsibility, God has undeservedly, unmeritedly offered salvation through the death of His Son. Why? That He would get the glory. And and that's what He says in verse 18. He he has mercy on whom He desires, and He hardens whom He desires. Same thing He said in verse 13. I'll do whatever I want to do, and I won't be unjust in it. And so the application, real quickly here, why this matters. And again, in the whole context of this, 8 and 9 of Romans, look at the application in your handout. We can have tremendous security of salvation knowing that God is merciful simply to the glory of his name, not based on something we do or do not do. Listen, here's what I mean by that. If I if I do something, excuse me. If I do something to earn it, God's mercy, if I do something to earn it. And I get it, then guess where my security begins to lie. I better keep doing what I did to earn it. I better keep doing what I did to earn it. Or I better I better keep not doing what I didn't do, in order to not earn it, right? It becomes about me. And and most of us, whether we admit it or not, most of us, to some degree, maybe varying, we live in that world. And that's why we lack security. That's why we, we, we lack certainty. We lack what the gospel really offers. We think that God's love and mercy came to us and are due based on something we did or did not do. Or, at the very least, that it's maintained through something we do or do not do. Read the Bible, go to church, avoid sin, do this or that. You ought to be doing this, those things, but your security isn't rooted in those. And here's why. If your security in root those is rooted in those, the moment you don't do them, guess how you feel? Insecure. That's where most of us dwell. You read your Bible seven days in a row, you just feel like, oh, God loves me so much. Life gets busy and you don't. like, oh, man, he hates me so much. Are you crazy? Now, now there's certainly a lack of fellowship there. The relationship is based on Christ. So you see how important this is. And, and listen, you and I would structure it Differently if we were God. It would be based on how much we do or don't do. you know why? Because that's how we structure our relationships. We love each other based on what we do or do not do. We do not love each other simply based on our character. Right? We we love playing favorites. We love selfish mercy. We love to love people that can love us in return. God doesn't do that. We've got to get past that. Our security is in God and His character. Secondly, we will. here's the other reality. We will never be so evil that God cannot forgive us and His mercy cover us. Amen? No amount of sin you have ever done, no amount of sin you will do can keep you from God's mercy. God is free to do with his mercy whatever he wants to do. He's not like us where you say, you know what? If you hadn't done that, I could, I, could, I could forgive you. But you did that, so now it's out of my. I can't do it. Or had you just done this, man, I could give you that mercy. That's how you and I act. Your past record of sin, listen, is no hindrance to God saving you. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. God is gracious, for if you ask forgiveness, you get forgiveness. God's free to do that. That's We saw this in Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. If it's not up to God, then you can't say that. But if it's up to God, He's free to do with His mercy whatever He wants to do. Thirdly, here's why this matters. All the praise for your salvation belongs to God and not yourself. You were made to glorify God even in your salvation. All praise be to God. God's mercy is not based on what we do or do not do. If you call out to Him, He will forgive you. Period. And, and, and the praise for your being saved, the praise for the mercy that you've received, is God. You, you and I don't get to play God with our sin. We don't get to dictate the terms. None of, not, no one, no one, no one is beyond God's mercy. Repent. Call on the name of the Lord. And listen, that applies to non-believer and believer alike. Non-believer, repent. It doesn't matter what you've done. God will forgive you. Right here, right now, He will forgive you. Declare you righteous. Believer, have you strayed? Have you been lukewarm? Have you been unfaithful in how you've stewarded your salvation? Repent. Repent. Start over. He's already offered. He's free to do that. And listen, for those of us around those people, we better offer mercy the same way God offered us mercy. That's a big point. We're real good at taking mercy, we're horrific at giving it. We're like, I wouldn't have done that. It don't matter what you would have done. God did it, so believe accept it. And if someone's sins have been forgiven, they're a brother or a sister. Period. You know, again, to the degree that we've been given mercy, the Bible says, show mercy. Lastly, we exist, we exist our true joy is found to glorify our savior for his mercy and grace. And think about this, this is the this is the logical conclusion. If God exists for his glory, what should his creation exist for? His glory. You see why 1 Corinthians 10, 30, there's no more fill-ins. So everybody's closing their Bibles up. I hear y'all. That's why I usually save a fill-in to the end. Y'all checked out. Done. You had my 48 minutes? I'm out of here. Listen. It makes all the more sense, 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one when it says whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, when you understand that everything God does first and foremost is to His glory. makes all the sense in the world. And underneath, listen, the underlying assurance for our salvation is this, that God's purposes will stand. And all who are in Christ are secure because of the character of God. The, the beauty of this is spend your life making much of God. Spend and know this nothing, no matter what. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. That's the point. And when you fail, believer, repent and get back on it. Listen, the reason we wallow in self-pity for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks is going back to what I just said, because we believe that God's love and mercy to us is because of something we did or didn't do, so when we stop doing that, we wallow in pity. It wasn't about you. All of us are going to fall short. Even as believers. Repent and get back after it. Again, God has freely chosen to offer us mercy through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Accept that. Believe that. And live for that. Live in that security. We ought to be bold as lions to go out and do anything and everything possible to bring God glory, knowing that nothing can separate us from, life, from Christ. Nothing That even if we're persecuted, you know what Matthew 5.12 says? You're, God's glorified even in that. And we're, we're, we are. Blessed, it says, Matthew 5.12. Blessed are those when they persecute you for my name's sake. You're blessed. I, I pray that we would be a church that, that, again, lives for the glory of God. We exist not about ourselves, not what makes us comfortable, not what makes us happy. What makes God look awesome? No matter what. And that's a scary thing to say. No matter what. Because I don't know what that what is. But but I pray that no matter what. No matter what. I'd be satisfied. If God was glorified.